All right. I want to welcome you as we start a new teaching series on Sunday night entitled, Lord, Change My Attitude. Uh, you're going to need your Bible every week. You're going to need it tonight. So if you forgot yours, pull out your phone. Maybe you have it on your phone. You can download it real quick. If you don't have your phone with you or your Bible with you, then get close to someone who does. Because we're going to be uh, in a couple of uh, important passages of Scripture tonight. As we uh, look at teaching on Sunday night, I want to prepare you for a format where we're going to offer steak and we're going to bypass some of the Golden Corral stuff. I mean, it's going to be Ruth, Chris. We're going to dive into some meat. We're going to go right into God's Word. But to do that, we're going to have to put the pudding aside. We're going to have to put some of the gravy aside and the mashed potatoes aside. And that's all good. But on these times together, we're going to dive right in. For some of us, our muscles and Bible study are stretched and ready and we are in shape and we're ready to go. Others of you may need to stretch them out a little bit. So that's okay. You give me grace, I'm going to give you grace, and we'll stretch together. Now, just like in our spiritual muscles, uh, our physical muscles sometimes uh, need a little bit of prodding. Uh, I discovered the bike path here at Fort Wayne and absolutely love it. And uh, my mind was bigger than my leg muscles. And I confess that I'm just like this. My legs are like all floppy and jelloey because I try to ride way too many miles. But I know that if I continue to ride, it's going to get easier, it's going to get easier. And some of us need to make a commitment tonight to say, you know what, I'm going to hang in there for a a couple of weeks and allow God to stretch me and to give me an appetite for the meat, the steak that he has for me. But sometimes when we're working out physically or spiritually, it happens this way too, there's something else that's going wrong. It was a couple of years ago, and I think I told some of you this story. I went on a bike ride, and I hadn't been for a number of years, and I decided to take Caden with me. Caden was young enough that I put her in the bike trailer behind, and and I set out to go ride. Now, when I ride, I like to uh, ride, you know, 10, 20, 30 miles or something like that. We're going to do a man's ride, and and Caden was going to go, and she was going to like it. And uh, it was really, really hot that day in Tulsa, and uh, strapped on the bike trailer, and we began to take off down the road, and I thought, oh my goodness, I am really out of shape. This is just harder than I thought. And as I'm pedaling, my legs are hurting extra, extra much. And then Caden is starting to whine and complain behind me. And she's had gummy bears, and it's so hot that her gummy bears in her little plastic bag has turned to gummy bear soup. And, and uh, she's no longer having fun, and I'm telling her, you better have fun. And this is just not turning out well. And we finally get to a place where I had to stop. And, and I turned back and looked, and I saw that the, the tires on the bike trailer were completely flat. And I was dragging the trailer and dragging her, and it was no wonder that my legs were hurting. Some of us, we need to let go of some baggage as we dive into Bible study. Because we've got some things attached to it that God didn't intend for it to happen. It's not about you stretching your, your spiritual muscles to study God's Word. You need to put aside a few preferences to allow God to help you. But no matter where you're at, I want to encourage you to dive in with me. Now, as we look at this series... Lord, change my attitude. If you want to turn to Numbers 13, we'll be there in just a little bit. Now, some of you may be thinking, my attitude really doesn't matter that much. I mean, it's just, it's, it's on the inside. And, and, and who knows what I'm really thinking anyway? It's my actions, it's what's on the outside that's most important. And, and it's true that your actions are important, but God cares about your attitude. 
It's very important to God. In fact, I want you to begin to take notes, not because what I'm saying is so important, but because what God has said about this is extremely important. And it's going to build upon each other one week after another. And so that first blank you see there is attitudes are important. They're important to God. It's not just some kind of whimsical thing and, and it's just uh, based off of uh, a feeling and it's just kind of fleeting back and forth and it doesn't have any importance. It is very important. God's Word teaches that when your attitudes are not pleasing to Him, your life becomes dry. It becomes lifeless. It becomes dead. Maybe as we begin to study, you, you say, I kind of feel that way right now. You, you, you say, I don't know what happened to my joy as a believer. I, I used to be happy. I used to be able to, to be excited about the things of God. But if I'm honest, it, it's just crusty and dry in my life. Friend, I, I want to love you enough to say, it's time to look at your attitude and my attitude. It's where our attitude is that often we find a challenge. You say, uh, that sounds a lot like self-help talk. That sounds like something Dr. Phil would say, or Oprah, or some preacher talk. Well, friend, it's actually all throughout God's Word. We're going to walk through a number of passages tonight and the next number of weeks and explore what God has to say about our attitudes. That's number two. This is not some side category of teaching, not just some passing thought, but a prominent message in God's Word. When he teaches about our attitudes, it is a prominent message in his word. Now, God did an incredibly radical thing in the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, in fact, it was so radical. What he did was so amazing that many writers of Scripture began to refer back to it and talk about it. It was on their minds so much. We find this in Psalms and in 1 Corinthians and many times in the book of Hebrews. And I want to tell you what, what happened. And we're going to build up to it, but, but it's too exciting. i just got to dive right in. It's in Numbers, and we'll find it in, in chapter 14. I told you 13, but I got too excited. It's 14. We'll be at 26 here in just a second. But here's what's happening. The children of Israel were on a journey from Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt, and they were now moving to the Promised Land. It should have been about a 300-mile journey, but it took them much longer than it should have. They hung around Sinai for way too long because they were complaining because they were criticizing, they were not trusting God. But then God finally took them to the edge of the promised land. And in Numbers 13, we see that there's these 12 spies, and they go in, and 10 of them come back, and they say, the land is amazing, but the people are so huge, the city is so big, we cannot do it. But the heart of our talk tonight is in Numbers 14, 26. Look with me at this passage. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me i have heard the complaints of these grumbling israelites now some of your translations say murmuring grumbling or or murmuring now murmuring or murmur it's that that old english concept of onomatopoeia it's when a word sounds like what it means if you haven't learned this it's it's one of the few things I remember in English that I got right, because I thought this was pretty cool. It, it's like drip, 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 drip. It sounds like what it is. And murmur, murmuring is the same way. Now, now you, you can't just let me say it. You need to say it. Everybody together, you just say murmur. Murmur. Now, we've got to do it like five times fast. Murmur, 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 murmur. I should have chose three. That was extra long. 
that when we say that over and over again, that's what God heard when the children of Israel were complaining. It was just murmur, murmur, murmur. It reminds me of that, that school teacher in the, in the Peanuts cartoon. It was just like, wah, wah. It was just a bunch of whatever. It was complaining. And God says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? That's what God heard. Now, Numbers fourteen twenty six, it continues on. We just read, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites in verse 28. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. And what was it they were saying over and over again? We're going to die out here. It's so bad. It's so hot. We're lost. We're going to, we're going to end up dead out here. Verse 29. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census, who has grumbled against me. Basically, the adults who are grumbling and complaining, I'm going to give you what you spoke into existence. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with an uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. Now, this is absolutely incredible to me. I mean, it's referred back to all throughout Scripture. These very passages are spoke about all throughout the Bible. Attitudes are very important to God. Now, attitudes, they don't change easily. We're not just doing a one-night wonder because your attitude didn't develop overnight, and it's not going to change overnight. Now, jot this down. Attitudes... For the sake of our study, here's how we're defining it. Attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. It's a pattern of thinking that you've fallen into. It's been formed over a long period of time. And so you didn't get that attitude overnight, and you won't replace that attitude overnight either. So this is going to be a full-length study together. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore five wilderness attitudes that God hates. And we're going to... Look at the five New Testament joy-producing, God-honoring attitudes that need to be found in their place. Another reason attitudes are important is because attitudes so often controls the outcome. Now, now don't misunderstand me. This is not self-help talk. This is not just positive thinking. This is not just do better and you'll be better. No, Scripture is going to back this up and we're going to explore it together. But attitude controls our outcome. So much of what happens in our life flows from our attitude. Have you uh, read through the New Testament? You've traveled the landscape of the Old Testament, rather. And when you read the Old Testament, you find out that it's not always sunshiny walks when you read the Old Testament. It's not always the grass is green meadows and it's wonderful. Sometimes when you read through the Old Testament, you stop and you say, did God do that? Can God really do that? Is that that okay? How many of you have read through the Old Testament at one point in your life or another? Raise your hand. Very good. How many have seen some some pretty staggering things in the Old Testament when you read it? It just shocked you. We're going to look at one of those passages tonight, one of the places where God revealed His heart in a way that was so radical, so staggering, that the writers of Scripture, as I've already said, talk about it over again. And over and over. They just could not get over what God did. But as we do this, we've already looked at the the thesis scripture for this evening. But we need to get the context of Numbers chapter 14. So I want to start at the very beginning. We're going to read the entire Bible all the way to Numbers tonight. (laughs) 
No, we won't do that. I want to see if you're still awake. But we're going to real quickly start at the beginning. And kids, teens, moms and dads, grandparents, I need you to help me with this. When we start at the beginning and we read in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis 1 we find two people who are there in Genesis 1. Anybody remember their names? Two people. Adam and Eve, that's right. And Adam and Eve, they started off good, they, they, they started off right, but they disobeyed God. They broke God's law. They were cast out of their garden, and then their kids began to break God's law. And things got worse and worse. And eventually God said, we, we have to start over. So he tells us that he wants to find this guy who is going to build a big boat. Anybody remember his name? Who is it? Noah. That's right. And so Noah builds this boat, builds this big boat, and, and God sends a flood, and it destroys all the wickedness on the earth, and, and takes care of it for a moment, but before too many years pass, things get all messed up again. Now God said He wasn't going to destroy the earth with a flood like that again, that's the rainbow, remember that promise, but then God moves on, and He says, if I can't have the whole world love me, then I'm going to have a nation that loves me. So He called this one guy, and He's going to build a nation out of him. Anybody remember his name? Abraham. That's right. He said, Abraham, you you can't be over here, so I'm going to move you over here, and and I'm going to build a nation out of you. And Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had two sons. Anybody remember their names? Jacob and Esau. Very good. Okay, so we're going to forget Esau for a second. But Jacob had some kids, and uh, he had some sons. And how, how many sons did Jacob have? Anybody remember? Twelve. Very good. You've been reading your Bible. This is good. Those 12 sons became the nation of Israel, but these sons were messed up. I mean, they were dysfunctional, they were weird, and and so they actually stripped one of their brothers naked and put him in a a pit and sold him in slavery. Anybody remember who that guy was? Who was it, guys? Joseph. Very good. And Joseph then goes into uh, Egypt and... There's some good things that happened there, but after a while, it doesn't turn out too good for the people of Israel. And there's 400 years there in Israel, and God says, I've got to get my people out of Israel. And he then uh, raises up this one guy who doesn't think he's very good about talking very much. And, and anybody remember his name? Thank you, very good. You're helping me study this week. And so Moses walks up, and he's the guy who says, you know, let my people go. And he talks to Pharaoh, and and God delivers them and and takes them out of Egypt. And this whole story of God providing, leading them has led up to Numbers 14. We can't just read this all by itself. It's tied to what everything else has happened up to this point. So they're now moving out of Egypt. They're going across the wilderness. And and Numbers chapter 13, 1 through 24, just put your finger there. Make sure that I'm not lying to you. They are on the edge of the promised land. And they're about to go in. I mean, the suspense is building. They've been waiting. They're on the edge of the promised land. God's about ready to take them in. And then they send in these 12 spies. You see, the land where they're going, it's occupied. And if if you're going to move into a house and someone lives there, before you can move in, what has to happen? People have to move out. You have to have them evicted. You You have to take care of it. I guess you could move in with them, and that'd be kind of awkward and strange. I mean, it's not what you wanted to have happen. It's not your dream home. Get the other tenants out of there. And, and that's what they're, they're doing. They're sending the spies in, and, and they're beginning to, to assess the situation. And they come back. And Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, I think I have it wrong on your outline. It should be chapter 13, verse 25 through 28. The 12 spies come back after assessing the situation, and look at chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Then down to verse 27. 
they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. I mean, it's good. But verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, when they heard descendants of Anak, they they thought of the giants. And whenever they heard descendants of Anak, they they went, (gasps) and so I I want you to practice that with me. Whenever you hear the word Anak, you're going to think of giants, and and you make that noise with me. Ready? One, two, three. (gasps) All right, kids, I'm going to read it again. We're going to do over. And uh, I want you to respond the way the uh, people of Israel did when they heard this. But the people who lived there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and large. And we even saw the descendants of Anak. This is their response. They couldn't believe it. God brought them through so many things. But at this point, they are scared to death of these giants. Except for two spies. Who came back and said, hey, no matter what it looks like, we can do this. Look at verse 30 of chapter 13. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. With God, we can do this. And the people respond. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than us. I I believe that Caleb was thinking, Well, duh. Of course they're stronger than us. They're from Anak. They're giants. But I didn't say we can do it. With God, surely we can do it. Their doubt was that we can't do this because we're only counting on our own strength. And, and you know, we're not even sure if God can handle these giants. They begin to argue back and forth, and that takes us all the way to chapter 14, verse 1. Turn with me, hold in your hand, Numbers 14, verse 1. That night, all of the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. This, this amazes me. I, I don't know if you've caught this when you read it before. They all wept aloud. Imagine with me a tent city of two million people whining and crying out loud together. I want you right now to make the noise you think they made when they're whining and crying. Make a whining and crying noise. That's it. Over and over, all night long, that's the noise they're making. I mean, it's just annoying me here. You do it for two seconds. Please stop. But over and over they begin to do this. And and, and look at verse 2 of chapter 14. All the Israelites grumbled. Circle or underline that word, grumbled. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. If only we had died there. Or if we only died in the wilderness. God We would rather die in the wilderness where we're so unhappy than go up against these giants. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? That is a pretty pretty huge accusation against God. They're basically saying, God, you're just going to trick us. You've led us this far and and we don't believe you're going to have our best interest at heart. We're going to get slaughtered by these giants. You're going to trick us, God. Continues on. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Verse 5. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Then Joshua begins to speak, skip down to verse 7, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored, it's exceedingly good, guys. I saw it with my own eyes. It's so good. In verse 8, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. He goes on to make this motivational speech, and he wants them to, to buy into what he's talking about. And he says, you've got to buy this, and, and we're going to find out if they bought it or not. And verse 10, let's see how the whole assembly responded. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Did they buy it? No. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, this is the part we looked at, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Church, I, I want to read this again. I want you to think about yourself right now. I wonder how many times God asked this of us. How long will you treat me with contempt, God asks you? How long will you refuse to believe in me with all of your weight, in spite of all the things that I have performed among you? Verse 12, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but then I will make into a nation, a greater nation, stronger than they. The next few verses, Moses begins to plead with God, and he says, God, don't wipe them out. Don't kill them. God, this is embarrassing. Everybody's watching. You let us out of, out of Egypt, and, and, and it's by your name, and, and then people are going to think that you couldn't do it, and he finds every way to give an excuse and pleads with God and intercedes, and I don't understand this part of Scripture. I'm tell you, I don't have the foggiest idea of why God did what he did. God listened to him. He said, okay, Moses. Look with me at chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Chapter 14, verse 21. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, dot, dot, dot. Right here, number three in your outline, we're beginning to see that they are going to pay the price for their bad attitude. Attitudes are important to God. We need to be aware of the attitudes. These attitudes is a pattern of thinking that forms over a long period of time. And we see here the third is paying a price for bad attitudes is inevitable. Numbers chapter 14, 26 through 33. We started here. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard their complaints, these grumbling Israelites. 14.28 So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. The very grumbling and murmuring and complaining that's been on your lips, I will make it happen. In this wilderness your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census, all adults who are grumbling and complaining. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with an uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. God says, I'm going to give you what you just complained about and you were so worried would happen. You think I am not trustworthy? You think I can't provide for you? You think I can't defeat a giant? You think it would be better to die in the wilderness than I'm going to let that happen? And those kids that you said I don't care about. I'm going to give to those kids the things that I had promised to you. Look at verse 31 of chapter 14. 
As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into enjoy the land you have rejected. Verse 32. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lie in the wilderness. This is not a great job for kids. I can just imagine the kids saying, Mom, Dad, die already. It's hot out here. I'm ready for honey. I'm ready for milk. I mean, this did not do a lot for the parent-child relationship. There was tension in the home. There was a price to be paid for an attitude that was not pleasing to God. Why did God keep them in the wilderness? Write this in. The problem was their grumbling. Their grumbling. And their grumbling. It was their murmuring. Their murmuring. Their murmuring. Their complaining. Their complaining. Their complaining. Their whining and their whining and their whining. God's people did this when they rejected His provision. Now here's the main point, not only of tonight, but the entire series I'm giving to you up front. This is the whole takeaway for the next number of weeks. It's all right here. Those who choose murmuring as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. Church, we need to hang on to this. Those who choose murmuring, complaining, whining, Grumbling as their lifestyle will spend their life in the wilderness. If you carefully study the scriptures surrounding this passage, you can see these things are leading up to this. God just didn't have a bad day. They didn't just catch God when when he had some, you know, bad pizza and he's kind of ticked off and he's going to take out his wrath on somebody. This has been a pattern of thinking Formed over time, it's an attitude that became their lifestyle, and there is a penalty to be paid for living this way over and over and over again. Now, in case you're one of those hyper-grace people here tonight, turn to your neighbor and say, are you a hyper-grace person? Ask them. If they're asleep, wake them up. You know what a hyper-grace person is, don't you? It's somebody who's heard grace, 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 all their life. And there's nothing wrong with grace, but the problem is they don't have the balance of the whole gospel, the whole scripture. And if you're one of those people, you're thinking right now, Brady, I don't know what you're talking about. God would never do that to me. That might be the God in the Old Testament, but I, I serve Jesus in the New Testament. And God would never lead me into the wilderness because of my attitude. God loves me. He adores me. He just is so taken by me. And all those things are true. But friends, it's not just about the grace. It's about the law. We talked about that this morning. When love enters the law, it explodes everything. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And He laid down His life. And that's where grace and law came together. But that was for then and not for now, right? I mean, that's an Old Testament thing and not for now. Now, everybody, if you haven't followed along yet, I forgive you. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. You have to see this. This is so cool. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I'm going to wait for you to find it. We're going to answer this question. Was that for then and, and not for now? Was that just an Old Testament thing or just a New Testament thing or was it a today thing? 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Who's talking here? Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. Listen again. Who is he talking about? He's talking about this very passage here in Numbers. These very people. For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, these people we've been reading about, under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. He's talking about them. Look at verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Now skip down to verse 6. This is amazing. 1 Corinthians 10.6 Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Verse 9 We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Verse 11, these things, what things? These very attitude problems that we're talking about right now, the things we're uncovering in this passage of Scripture in Numbers. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for who? For us. On whom the culmination of the ages has to come. Church, all these things written down in Numbers, they happened as an example for you and I. This is not far off. This is not distant. This is not irrelevant. No, this is incredibly for us. This is right now for today. The culmination of the ages, talking about the end times. Do you know our generation has more reason to believe that we are living in the end times than any other generation? This is written for us. So we will not fall into the same trap. I shared all of that as a very long introduction, and that's all we're going to get into tonight, is the introduction. Of why in the world we should care about our attitudes. Lord, change my attitude. Why? Before it's too late. We need to live and get ready for promised land living. Attitudes are important. It's a prominent message. This is not some side thing in Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. This pattern of thinking that's formed over a long period of time that that controls so much of the outcome in our life. If we don't be careful, we will pay a high price for this attitude. God kept them in the wilderness because of their grumbling, complaining, and murmuring. Friends, if you and I don't choose an attitude different than grumbling and complaining and murmuring, we will spend the rest of our life in a wilderness right here. That's what God is talking about. You say, well, where in the world are we going to go with this study? We're going to get there in a second, and I'm going to give you a two-minute highlight of what's coming up. But before we do that, I just think it's good for us to pause and to pray right now. I believe the Holy Spirit's beginning to churn the dirt of our heart and plow it up and begin to put some fingers on some chests. You're saying, I don't have an attitude problem. Let's ask God to... Speak to us and help us not waste our life in a wilderness. Father, we just like went super fast through your word. Probably more 
fast than helpful. But we begin to catch this drive-by snapshot, Father, of your love for your people and how they totally missed what you had because they were stuck in their wilderness attitudes. God, when we ask that question, how long will we spite you? How long will we not trust you by the way we act and the way we think and how we take things into our own strength? It's convicting to us, God. And Lord, we confess that we're beginning to see that these attitudes didn't happen overnight. It's a pattern of thinking over a long period of time. You know this about us, God. So we ask right now that you'll be patient with us. God, just as you listen to Moses, I pray that you'll hear our cry, God, and you will, you will give us an opportunity to allow you to replace those wilderness attitudes with attitudes that are pleasing to you. God, I thank you for the promised land living that you have for us right now that we don't have to wait for till we get to heaven. Thank you, God, for preparing us for this journey together. In your name I pray. Amen. Those of you who uh, have a personality like mine, you want to get your ducks in a row, just flip the page over. You'll really like this. Those of you who don't like your ducks in a row, then uh, crumple it up and throw it on the floor. No, don't do that. That'll make a mess. You don't even have to listen. You can just stare at your neighbor or something. We're going to walk through the next number of weeks systematically, intentionally, one building upon another. And I want to encourage you to be here as often as you possibly can. Next week, looking at replacing complaining attitudes with a thankful attitude. Then on September 30th, replacing a covetousness attitude with an attitude of contentment. Replacing a critical attitude with an attitude of love. A doubting attitude with an attitude of faith. And a rebellious attitude with an attitude of submission. And finally, God, would you change me before it's too late? Now I promise you, you are going to have every excuse not to complete this study. The one who's most motivated here, I promise you, you're going to have lots of reasons why not to participate. The enemy would like nothing more than to get you to not catch this life-changing truth. Now, I'm not suggesting if you have some kind of conflict or something planned where you can't come, then you have a horrible attitude. I'm not saying that at all. Don't let that cause you to have a bad attitude, me talking about your attitude. Don't, don't let that happen. But what I am saying, if you can begin to prioritize and say, God, I want you to stretch me. And if I have to miss for some reason, I want to get caught up somehow on the Internet. I want to come back in. I believe God has freedom in promised land living for us. Kids, I want to thank you for your awesome attention. Uh, it's great to have you here. Parents, as you see a kid on the way out, hug them on the neck. Thank them for coming.